Thank you very much for that excellent reading there, Ian. Welcome, everyone. My name's Andrew Saul. I'm a member of the congregation here and a member of the PCC, although I'm more normally a regular at the nine o'clock service, so there's a number of you I won't have had the pleasure of speaking to yet. So it's, it's great to meet you, and if I can add my own welcome to Nate's particular welcome to anyone who's new to St Mary's. And um, please keep this wonderful passage sort of fresh in your memories because I'm going to speak to it this morning and try and draw out some of the highlights, but also in particular what I think um, our responses should be and our takeaways from the passage. But just before I, I do that, let me pray briefly before I start. Lord God, thank you for speaking to us through the Bible. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So as, as Nate said earlier, we're now two weeks into Advent, and um, whilst we perhaps more typically associate Advent with the lead-up to the birth of Jesus, Luke begins his Gospel with the birth of John the Baptist and follows it with the Nativity story of Jesus. And John the Baptist is, of course, a hugely important figure in the New Testament. They could give lots of sermons. We will give lots of sermons, I'm sure, about John the Baptist. Um, I can't go into that in detail this morning. But the key thing is this, this, this passage marks the start of God doing a new thing. It's the dawn of a new era. So after a period of relative inactivity, it's the start of a period of God intervening directly in a big and miraculous way and I think it's just in terms of setting the scene it's also a reminder that there's the visible and the invisible so God is always with us through the Holy Spirit but for most of the time he and the angels are invisible but this is a start of a period which includes the incarnation of God on earth when he's very visible Now, I think one of the reasons we can have confidence in the Bible is because it's a historical account of actual events. It isn't some abstract statement of belief that we're asked to buy into without any historical context. It's, a, it's an account of what happened, and from that we can discern the identity and ministry and sacrifice of Jesus. It's very specific, isn't it? It's, this passage starts, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, and John the Baptist's parents are specifically identified. Gabriel is very detailed and specific in what he says to Zechariah. You'll have a son named John. He'll give joy and gladness to you because he's great in the Lord. He won't drink alcohol. He'll have the Holy Spirit before birth, so very special in that respect. And he'll be in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn people back and prepare them for God's coming. So that's the gist of Gabriel's message. And actually, while we're on the subject of Gabriel, as a, as a bit of an aside, although I'll explain the relevance of this later on, the physical characteristics of angels is not something dealt with in detail in the Bible. But there's one thing that you may have noticed about them. So I've come to the conclusion that seeing an angel is certainly daunting and actually, in many cases, scary because... Have you noticed when an angel appears in the Bible, they almost always seem to say the, the same thing to start with. They, they nearly always say, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. 
So when, um, when Gabriel appears a bit later in Luke's Gospel to Mary to announce that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, first thing Gabriel says is, do not be afraid, Mary. When the angel appears to the shepherds in that wonderful nativity scene that's repeated uh, year after year in schools up and down the country, when the, when the angel appears to the shepherds, the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. And when Gabriel appears to Daniel in the Old Testament, the only time that Gabriel is mentioned by name in the Old Testament, Daniel, who is not of a weak disposition uh, by any means, as we well know, the first thing that Daniel says is, I was terrified and fell prostrate on the floor. And so in our passage today, when Gabriel appears to Zechariah, the first thing he says is, do not be afraid, Zechariah. So seeing an angel is clearly something that's a bit daunting, initially at least. Now one of the, one of the great privileges of, of doing these talks is that in preparing for them, I always learn lots of new things. And one of the things I hadn't appreciated until I started reading into this further is what an important and unique day this was for Zechariah, even before Gabriel appeared to, to him. So we learn that Zechariah was responsible this day for burning incense in the temple. And many of you, I think, will know this, but I hadn't appreciated the significance of that. I thought, so when I first read it, he's a priest. That's what priests do, a bit like Nate lighting the Advent calendar, candle. But what I, what I hadn't realized was that at the time, there were at least 20,000 priests in, in Israel. Some accounts say as many as 80,000. And if you were a priest, you only ever got to burn the incense in the temple once in your lifetime, if at all. It, and that's if you, were, if you were fortunate. Because as we, we learnt in this passage, the priest responsible for burning the incense was chosen by lot. And if you were successful, your name was never entered in the drawer again. So you only ever did it a maximum of, of once. So I think we get some sense of the fact that this was a momentous day for Zechariah, even before Gabriel appeared to him. And I think we can easily infer from that that this is all part of God's plan in marking out the significance of the arrival of John the Baptist. God directing that Zechariah will light the incense this day and that on this important day, Gabriel will deliver his message to Zechariah. So as the penny eventually dropped with me, I realized that this passage shows God in his plan, making it very clear to us that the birth of John the Baptist will be of huge importance. Zechariah is notified on his day of days, the one day in his life he gets to light incense in the temple. And he's told by Gabriel, he's given the message of John's arrival by Gabriel, who's one of only very few angels who are specifically named in the Bible, and he's God's chief, chief messenger. He's reserved for passing on the really important messages a new and massively important time is starting. And as we know from previous talks, the Old Testament is full of prophecies of what will happen in the New Testament. And John gave a wonderful talk last week on the messianic prophecy uh, in Isaiah. And the birth of John the Baptist is, in fact, the fulfillment of a prophecy in Malachi from 400 years earlier. 
So I'll just read a couple of passages, short passages from Malachi to illustrate that. So Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 reads, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. And in the closing verses of Malachi's prophecy, we read, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of parents to their children, and the hearts of children to their parents. And this is because pretty much exactly what Gabriel repeats back to Zechariah at verse 17 in our passage. Gabriel says, And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah, because as a, as a very learned priest, would have been familiar with Malachi's prophecies and would have realized the significance of Gabriel's words. In the nine o'clock service, we sometimes have a service of morning prayer and it always includes Zechariah's song. And Zechariah, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he tells the newborn John the Baptist what his role will be. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And of course, that's exactly what John the Baptist does. Says I prepare you. Says I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This passage um, is also, of course, an answer to prayer. Zechariah and Elizabeth had clearly been praying for a child, and Gabriel says to Zechariah, "Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John." And related to that, this passage is also, I think, uh, a timely reminder of human weakness and frailty, even amongst the most faithful. So despite the fact that Zechariah was a man of great faith, even when he has Gabriel appearing before him to deliver the message of John's arrival, he doubts him. How can I be sure of this, says Zechariah? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. So then I think, linking back to what I said earlier, perhaps this is an illustration of why it might be daunting to meet an angel and why they're to be treated, as, treated with respect as God's messengers. So Gabriel is clearly not amused at God's word being doubted and strikes Zechariah dumb until John the Baptist has been born. And then as I sort of draw towards a conclusion, this leads sort of to what I think must have been a really quite bizarre spectacle of the crowd outside the temple. He would have been waiting expectantly for Zechariah to emerge from the temple and administer the customary blessing. And they're standing there, what's going on? He's been taking a long time. And then we're told he eventually emerges, but of course he's been struck dumb by Gabriel. We're told in the passage, he kept making signs to them as he can't speak. So, this, ladies and gentlemen, is clearly the first ever Christmas season charade. And uh, I did wonder, um, given that we encourage congregation participation, whether we should have game of charades now to imagine how Zechariah might 
have conveyed this very difficult message of what had happened to him, to the crowd, but um, sadly not enough time, so I'll let you have a go at that at home yourselves over the Christmas season. But during this passage together, during the themes together, as ever, there's a huge amount packed into a wonderful passage. And I think here are my key takeaways and what our responses should be to this passage. So, so firstly, these are very specific historical facts that help give us confidence in the accuracy of the Bible. They're also another example of God fulfilling his promises contained in the Old Testament. And the fulfillment of these prophecies gives us further confidence in the accuracy of the Bible. Secondly, this passage shows us God using different means and messengers to prepare the way for the Messiah. Shows us God intervening in the sweep of human history in a dramatic and miraculous way. Thirdly, we know that not all prayers are answered exactly as and when we would like them to be, but it demonstrates the power and importance of prayer. It acts as a reminder to us of the need for regular prayer in developing our relationship with God. And finally, it's a reminder that God is always with us, invisibly through the Holy Spirit the whole time, but sometimes during the course of human history, he'll be with us visibly as well as invisibly. So let me, let me finish in prayer. Lord God, thank you again for speaking to us through the Bible, and please help us as we read the Bible to understand your word and how, would you, how you would have us respond to it. Thank you that you love us so much that you came to earth and died for our sins and made it so clear that this was your plan through the likes of John the Baptist, numerous prophecies in the Old Testament. Please help us to grow closer to you, Lord, through prayer. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.